Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. We're going to be taking a break again. We should be back in Luke next week, but I wanted to share a message that's been on my heart for some time. It's going to be found in Hebrews chapter 12, so you can turn, take your Bibles and turn to that. As we begin a new year, 2022, so I saw a meme the other day, it was kind of funny, or yesterday I saw it and said everyone, you know, 2022 ought to be a great year, but I don't know, any here, anyone here a film buff, anyone remember the film Soylent Green? It takes place in 2022, so... And with the price of baking going up and everything else, so yes... So stay for commun- or communion and then for dinner with us later. We have uh, some nice green wafers. Uh, <laughs> How do you know what soy and green is? It's people, it's people. Okay, all right. Tony, thank you. You can cut all that out if you'd like from the, from the broadcast. But um, Fighting besetting sins. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me ask where we begin. How many of you have made some New Year resolutions? Anyone here? Made some New Year's resolutions. There's a few of you. There's a few of you that do that. According to one website, the most common New Year, res- New, New Year, not New York, New Year resolutions are such, you see here on the monitor, is exercise more and lose weight, uh, get organized, uh, learn a new skill or a hobby, or live life to the fullest. I don't know how you really kind of measure that. Uh, save more money or spend less money. Uh, quit smoking or quit some type of bad habit. Uh, spend more time with family and friends. That's always uh, a good one to have and to travel and to read more. However, there is nothing more American than making a New Year's resolu- resolution and then failing at it within a few days and already stopped, right? According to one study, only 46% of people are successful in sticking to their resolution after six months, meaning that the majority of resolutions fail. They, they, we fall in doing so. In 1722, Jonathan Edwards, a future great American preacher of the Great Awakening, when he was 19, sat down and wrote out 70 resolutions that, that quote, supply that both that place for him to stand and a compass to guide him as he made his way. So at 19, he set down 70 resolutions that he wrote within a year that says, this is how I'm going to guide my life. One of them is uh, I will do whatever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit, and pleasure. I resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it, to most, uh, to improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. And resolve to live with all my might, which I do live. I, I encourage you to, to go and Google just Jonathan Edwards and his 70 resolutions. They're, they're pretty uh, um, impactful as you look at them. I mean, they're, and they're pretty amazing for a 19-year-old to come with these types of resolutions. However, he recognizing the, the frailty of human and our, and our nature and our will wrote this. You'll see this here on the screen. He says... Being sensible that I am unable to do anything with God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will 
for Christ's sake. And I like that last, that last phrase. How, many, how often have you and I made a resolution or a commitment or decision without any regard to whether or not it's agreeable to God's will for Christ's sake, for the advancement of Christ rather than the advancement of ourselves? Great words, but also understanding that we are under God's providence and it's God who supplies all that we need to do. And so I think that's a good thing to think. And it, it helps us propel as we go here and we look at what it means as a Christian to fight sin. Several weeks ago, we considered the importance of self-evaluation in the Christian life. Hopefully you got that message. With that in mind, this morning I want to answer a question that's been burning, at least in my mind, and most likely your mind as well. And that question that seems difficult to understand, it's a question that all inquiring minds want to know. And that question is, why do I still struggle with sin in my heart after salvation? Have you ever wondered that? You don't have to raise your hand. But why am I still struggling with sin? Why, why does there seem to be some sins that, that I can get away with, real, you know, get, get from real quickly, but there are some that seem to just walk in my shadow? It is my shadow. I, I see it when I look in the mirror. It's, it's reflecting back to me. And that's something that has caused many Christians, many believers to, to, to despair, to be discouraged, to sometimes even doubt the goodness of God. And they even doubt whether or not they truly are saved. And that's a great question that I believe many believers struggle with. Why does sin still, why do I still struggle with sin? Even the Apostle Paul admitted in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I do not understand my actions, for I do what I do, for I do what I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Have you ever done that? Why do I keep doing this? Why am I like a dog that returns to its vomit? Why do I continue to do the same thing expecting a different result? He goes on to state that the things that he wants to do, he does not do them. And we can all understand this this dilemma in our own life, maybe even this morning. He continues to cry out in Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am. Now this is the great apostle probably would be in your top three list, if not your top two of the greatest Christians other than Christ. You know, it's, you know, it's got to be Paul. It's got to be Peter, maybe Moses, maybe John. Paul's going to be up there at least in your top two. What wretched man that I am. He called himself the chiefest of sinners. But I believe maybe even in this room, we got some of you that got, got, uh, can give him a run for his money. Who will deliver me from this body of flesh? I know I've cried out that prayer, that cry. Who can deliver me? Why do I continue to do the things that I don't and the very things that I want to do? Why do I struggle to do those? Who here has not asked that same question? Who here has not struggled with besetting sins? One theologian notes that besetting sins are ones that we continually struggle with and have a weakness towards. In Hebrews 12, we're going to read here in a moment, the writer describes these sins as those that cling closely to us, meaning that these sins are easily entrap us. They trip us up and they seem to be constant companions. Many times our hearts become weary with battling sin and fighting the shameful guilt 
of our desires and passions that paralyze us, that stunt our spiritual growth. And, and the good news for you today is that, is that there is an answer to that question. We are to take comfort that God understands our struggles. He knows your heart. And he has not abandoned his children to wallow in deep shame and guilt, but has given us a way of escape. It is true that God has sovereignly and providentially ordained that sin remains in our own regenerated hearts. That is hard to understand. But even this, we need to recognize this, but even that sin serves for God's glory and our good. Very difficult to understand that. But that's what scripture is teaching us. So here we are in Hebrews 12. For, hopefully you got your Bible. If you need one, let me know. Love to give one to you so you can take it home and join us in our Bible reading and bring it to church. Mark it up or whether it's your tablet or phone, whatever it might be. And here's here on the monitor as well, just to kind of keep us all together. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 4. Listen to what the writer has. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we just come and ask for your wisdom. We thank you for a new year. And may our hearts be drawn to you. There's much in this world <clears throat> that wants to distract us <clears throat> from the truth. That wants to distract us from the, from the spiritual truths that are found in your word. To, to, to deny your existence, to doubt your goodness and your faithfulness. But Father, let us lay all this aside and hold on to your word. We thank you for it. I pray that we would use this time wisely, knowing that we're to redeem the time and that one day we'll stand before God and give account for this portion of time and what we've done with it. Keep us free from distractions, Lord, that we may hear your word, listen, respond with joy, and Lord, that you may be glorified. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. In this passage, the writer of Hebrews has given the Christians a new perspective that comes with an orc exhortation that, that follows a command. So let's take a moment and observe several points about obtaining the correct perspective. So first, we need to have the perspective of looking backwards. The perspective of looking backwards. We encounter the word therefore as soon as we read verse 1, which informs us to look back at what was written before in chapter 11. And in that chapter, we read of the previous heroes of faith who lived by faith, who, who pleased God by faith, who, who trusted in the promises of God. Men such as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Sam, uh, Samson, Samuel, and David, along with others who suffered mocking and flogging. And even those uh, in chains and imprisonments and were stoned. They were saw in two and killed with a sword. He writes that they lived by faith and that they obeyed despite never fully realizing the fulfillment of God's promises. God promised them something, but they never saw the final fulfillment of that. But they still continued to obey God regardless of that event. Another remarkable fact about these heroes hall of faith 
is that it's populated by schemers, murderers, prostitutes, adulterers, cowards, and terrible fathers. Yet we are called to look backward to them as examples in both as a warning sign of the destructiveness of sin in their lives, but also the redemption of God in using broken and faulty men and women in his plan of redemption. And I'm so thankful for that because I'm not perfect. There's none of us here this morning that are perfect. We're all broken. We're all in need of a savior. But yet God has chosen to use the broken, the unloving, the, the, the ones that are rebelling against God to use his, for his purposes. Another, uh, as we go on, but we are called to look backwards. It's because of this truth that we can boldly and uncompromisingly follow Christ. The, perspective, the second perspective is looking to Jesus. In verse 2, we read the exhortation, looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. In our walk in life, we are to keep our eyes on Christ. This exhortation calls us to recall that we are new creatures, not because of who we are and because of our self-will or because of New Year resolutions that we were able to keep. No, but it's because he informs us that, um, I'm sorry, I'm losing myself, that because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Because of Jesus' passive obedience by allowing himself to die on the cross. Our sins have been paid for and the wrath of God has been appeased. His act of obedience, his fulfilling of the law, his perfect living of 33 years of obedience is now applied to us, enabling us to not only be forgiven, but also to be reconciled to God and accepted by God and adopted by the Father. There is no more striving for Jesus has finished the work of redemption, amen? That's a great place to put an amen at. Is Jesus has says it is finished. We also consider the way in which Jesus accomplished the purposes of the Father. The writer of Hebrews informs us that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, or the right uh, hand of the throne of God. This motivation to obedience calls us not to grow weary or faint-hearted in living out the Christian life, in our own struggle for obedience. He even reminds us that in our struggle against sin, that we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. In other words, you and I, when the weight of sin becomes so heavy, we just you know, let go of the bar and let it drop. Because we, we can't handle it anymore. Well, the goal in the Christian life is that you and I are able to hold on to that bar of weight longer and longer, pushing it further and further, and and, and not giving in to the resistance of that type of weight. What he's telling us is we look to Jesus, we look not only to our salvation, but also the fact that we are to joyfully endure the suffering that comes in battling sin. A lot of times when you and I think of suffering in the Christian life, we think of, you know, I have cancer, or I have a death in the family, or I have some type of disability, or maybe it's a financial. But we don't consider that the main suffering that Christians face is that we live in a world of sin. You know, that's my goal. You've heard me say it many times. I cannot wait to be delivered from the presence of sin. The presence of sin is around us all the time. Broken marriages, broken families... 
uh, uh, cancer, people dying, uh, natural disasters, mental illness issues, things of all those things. You and I are confronted by that suffering all the time. And not only that, it's our own failures and our sin. You know, we we go to bed just hoping, oh, I just wish I could sleep because then I won't be sinning. But then we find ourselves waking up to dreams and say, why in the world am I dreaming that? And even then you feel condemned. You feel like you have to wake up repenting of even your dreams. It's an ongoing battle. That's the common suffering that all of us will have to engage in. Instead of being driven into a state of guilt or shame and despondency and despair due to this ongoing battle, you and I must find joy that James speaks of when he writes here on the monitor in James chapter 1. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, it, so our suffering, in, even, even our struggle against sin, has a purpose, a good purpose, a God-ordained purpose. It's to produce steadfastness and, says that, and, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, mature, lacking in nothing. For even the temptation, the trials, and the trespasses that you and I have in our life are to, to strengthen our character and to draw us closer to God. Where Satan tries to use that to destroy your character and to draw you away. And some of you, even this morning, are struggling with that. You find yourself, your character being destroyed in front of your wives and in front of your, your family, in front of your husbands and others. Because sin has got itself so closely entangled that you cannot take a step without your feet falling and being captured. What you and I need is a new perspective that reminds us that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So we see here we need a new perspective. We need to look to those as warnings and examples, both good and bad, that, hey, they were human. we got to remember Moses was human. David was human. Their sin shows that, proves that, but yet they were forgiven, redeemed, and used. I love what's said of David in Acts. And and David served God's purposes in his generation and died. Let that be said of us. The greatest epitaph, I believe, that can be written. And then we need to look to Christ, knowing that even when we sin, that does not mar God's faithfulness. Said before, can we lose our salvation? If you could, you would, as John MacArthur says. But our salvation is based on Christ's faithfulness, not our own. And then as well, looking to Jesus who suffered with joy, knowing that in the end he was going to be seated with God. If you need joy, read the book of Philippians with me. It's a book full of joy. Join me in the month of January just reading chapters 1 and 2 and the next month 3 and 4. Read Revelation. I will wipe away every tear from their eye. I will wipe away all sorrow. I will be their God and they will be my people. There's the joy. Why do you fight sin now? Because one day you will be delivered from the presence of sin and you will have the joy of God forever. Amen? That's why you and I struggle today. So the question I want to ask you here before we go on is to what or to whom are you looking for today for encouragement in your struggle with sin. 
For most of us, we look at ourselves. We look at our failures. Our mind just plays on a loop all of our failures and sins. I mean, isn't it? It's, it's just striking whenever we have a quiet moment, which is why we fill our head with noise, right? So we don't have to think. Is all of a sudden things that I did back when I was 20, 15, 13 come back in my mind and play over and over and over and over. And you try to cast it out, <clears throat> bringing that shame, that guilt. The voices in your head saying you're not good enough, you must not be saved. What are you looking to? If you're looking to yourself and your good works, you will never find escape. We must look to Christ and to his faithfulness. Is there something that's keeping your eyes off the works of Christ? What is it? It could be the fact that you're just watching way too much TV. Maybe you're just reading too much books that are not God-honoring. Maybe you're just playing too much video games. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're just coping with all sorts of different types of pleasure experiments and drugs and alcohol. You won't find joy there. You won't find the strength of God in those. What is keeping your eyes off Christ? It could be your family. It could be your spouse. Most likely it's your job. It's your career. Maybe it's the news. What's going on? What's keeping your eyes off your position as a child of God? Let's move on to the next observation. This one entails a command... To lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, there's let us do this, let us do that, and then looking forward. The Greek word behind the thought of cling so closely, that phrase, that clause, whatever the phrase clause, whatever, means sins that are cleverly placing itself around us to exert tight control and hence easily entangling. Landon and I were playing this week, and when no one's around, Landon and I will come over, and we, this becomes our zombie hunting grounds, and we, 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 we fight the zombies and aliens, and we do all sorts of fun things here, and we have a rope that we do some things and just do a lot of pretend stuff using our imagination. It's one of the best highlights of my week, and so this week we were doing some things, and he had taken a rope and tied it across a couple of things. He said, Bob, Bob, come, come walk across this. And of course, I'm, I know what he's going to do. And I, I go to walk and boom, you know, then, then he pulls the string up and I, you, like I'm falling or whatever, things of that nature. And then we have to make a, a rescue and things of that nature. But that's sometimes how sin is. It just entangles. We get things wrapped around our feet. You have a bunch of yapping little dogs that anytime you move, you can't do anything. You're kicking them. And they're screaming and looking at you like, what's wrong with you? And you're just trying to move. You know, or little children that are always mom, 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 mom. You know, it's, it, they just seem to entangle. Now, I'm not equating those things with sin, but as a, as a rough analogy, you understand what I'm talking about. You just can't seem to get rid of it. And it just cleans, and it's clever. It knows exactly, let me tell you, Satan knows which buttons to push. He knows what your weak spots are. And he'll always direct your mind, your affections, so that you may choose with your will those things that God hates. One theologian notes that besetting sins are ones that we continually struggle with and have a weakness towards. And so right now, you're not saying it aloud, but you know what I'm talking about. It's in your mind right now. 
You've been thinking about it. You probably struggled with it this week. Something that you know that you have a weakness towards. Something that you know that just is easily in your life. The Holy Spirit is acknowledging that as Christians, we will have an ongoing struggle battle with sin. And some sins may be more difficult to overcome than others. There are many things that I don't do that I used to do before coming to Christian, before becoming more committed to Christ. And each year, some things become easier. But there are some things that sometimes just always seem to be there. Sometimes they're easier to deflect But then other times they're so strong, it feels like I got Arnold Schwarzenegger pushing against me. And I'm trying to just weakly just get him off. You know what I'm talking about. You've experienced this. And you say, why in the world? When will this be taken? Lord, I pray that I may grow, right? I ask that I may grow. And God says, I'm not going to get rid of that. That's there. What you need is a prayer not to remove it so much, but for more grace and trust in the Lord. I love that hymn. Greg Gilbert, pastor at Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. In a devotional he wrote entitled Assured, writes concerning besetting sin. You'll see the first paragraph, so be with me. I'm going to read this three, four paragraphs. He says, right from the beginning, we should acknowledge that the presence of long persistent sins is a common experience among Christians. So common that it's even earned its own shorthand name, besetting sins. That's why we're using it. It's not found in the Bible, but we've kind of given it a name. Meaning particular sins that continue to plague a Christian over time, despite their justification of being declared right by God, their regeneration, having a new heart, and even ongoing sanctification. Sanctification is a big word that just means that we are more like Christ and freer from sin. That's all sanctification is. Sometimes, he goes on, these besetting sins can then become defining, the defining battle of one's life. Besetting sins take many forms in people's lives. Selfishness, bitterness, anger, lust, gossip, drunkenness, irresponsibility, men, laziness, worry, All these and more can persist as pitfalls for years in people's lives, causing them to fall over and over again. So how should we think about these besetting sins, he writes, especially given the teaching that no one who abides in him keeps on sinning in 1 John. If I keep on sinning, am I saved? Well, every Christian, he writes, is beset by sin. How exactly can we say that so unequivocally? He says, because just as clearly as John says that no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning, he also says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Even after we become Christians, our sin nature remains. Those habits, those old ways of thinking, those old desires. Yet we are set free from condemnation of sin and its slavery But the battle between the flesh and the spirit remains. That's Paul's point in Galatians chapter 5. As Christians, we will always be tempted to live according to the flesh. But our call is to continue to fight, to walk in the spirit, and to keep step with the spirit. He goes on to write, when it comes to any sin, whether one that's easily beaten or one that requires a lifetime of warfare, The critical issue is not the behavior itself. Let me say this again. 
The critical issue is not the behavior, your sin. After all, not all sins are behavioral. The majority of them are going to be in your heart. Things that you do not do or maybe not act on, but it's the, it's the battle of the mind. But rather how your heart responds to it. How your heart responds. Does it respond with affection, friendship, or with intimacy? Does it propel it, repel it? Ultimately, he says, this is the essential question. Have you surrendered to that sin or are you fighting it? And the last paragraph here, just to the monitor so we're all together. The call to fight is a call to every Christian. The important thing in the war against sin is not so much to see victory, which seems odd, he writes. That will come in due time when God permits, either in this life or in the life to come. For now, he writes, the important thing is to make sure you are engaged in the battle. See, we want something removed, but God says, no, it's going to be there. You will fight with it maybe your whole life. Why? Because it produces steadfastness. And when steadfastness is there, it produces maturity. You see, our fight, he continues, as Christians, is not only against something, but also for something, the glories of eternity. See, the battle within your heart and your mind is for the thoughts of Christ. Set your mind on the things in heaven, Colossians chapter 3, right, where Christ is. Where Christ is. So you and I have to set our minds on Christ. And what he does is he leaves these sins here so that we can battle him. Because when we battle sin, we are to look to Jesus. If your life was, was, was just purely rose-colored and you had no temptation to fight, no, you would not think of Jesus at all. When, when the disciples looked to Jesus in the storm of the, of the, in the boat, right? When time was tough, when things are good, they're just kind of on their own. You and I are the same way. But not only is it that, but we're also fighting for something greater in the fact that we're fighting for our own sanctification. And we need to recognize that. It's important to realize that we are not alone in this dilemma. We are called to fight sin, and that sin may be for your lifetime. The website gotquestions.org notes that the Bible gives examples of people who struggle with besetting sins. Both Abraham and Isaac fell into the same sin multiple times when they lied about their wives to protect themselves. Remember, oh, this isn't my wife, it's my sister. In the book of Judges, Samson struggled with lust throughout his life and it caused many problems. Similarly, David and Solomon both had a weakness in regard to women and their lust proved Besetting sins can also affect those in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter struggled with the fear of men, whether it was in the Gospels or we see in Galatians, as Paul had to call him out. As he denied Christ three times and was confronted by Paul. That's why we look back. We know that other men have walked the same road. So one might exclaim, wait, 
If these heroes of the faith struggle with ongoing sin and still made the hero hall of faith, why must I then expend so much energy in fighting sin? Especially if the desire for it may never go fully away. Why can't I then just say time out and enjoy that sin for a season and then come back and make a resolution? Okay, now I'm going to fight it for three months, six months, three weeks, three hours. What's wrong with just a little bit of sin? And that's a good question. At least one that I considered on more more than one occasion myself. Especially when the battle gets intense. The temptations get so strong and the pressure overwhelming. One of the problems with that thought is that you and I do not understand the seriousness and the power of sin. John MacArthur notes that today sin is called sickness, so people think it requires therapy and not repentance. He's not wrong. Even many pastors and churches and spiritual counselors today label sin as bad habits or hang-ups or personality quirks. We deny, deflect, and demur on the seriousness of sin. The great Puritan pastor John Owen writes, as you look here to the monitor, how much it should concern believers to have a full and clear acquaintance with the power of indwelling sin. To stir them up to watchfulness, diligence, faith, and prayer, and to call them to repentance, humility, and self-abasement. This is how God calls us to himself, is by allowing sin to continue to fight against us. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, as Christians, it calls us to take sin seriously, understanding that the truth of Scripture, as the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You ought to underline that or highlight that if you have not yet. Do not be deceived. And Christian, listen to me this morning, please. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral nor the idolaters, adulterers, or men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Sin is so serious that it will lead you to hell. But he goes on, and such were some of you, but now you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Christ. All things may be lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. In Galatians chapter 5, it says the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality. Now men, this, this, men and women, by the way, women are watching pornography almost at the same percentage of men nowadays. And then in the women, it even comes more with romance novels. Sexual immorality is not in just the action, but it's also in our minds and our hearts. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like this. He warns, I warn you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And my concern is there may be some of you, there are some of you here this morning that are struggling with some of those things. You may say, well, it's just gossip. I just like to talk about others or just read about others. But gossip is soul destroying and will destroy church and sow discord and division just as much as an adulterer will. 
And we need to recognize these things. Sin is not something that is to be named among us, Paul tells us. We are to fight it with every fiber of our being. It doesn't mean that we will not fail, and you will fail. There will be times that you will not lay aside. There are times that you will not lay aside every weight and run the race with endurance. And there are going to be times that you will not look to Jesus. But the Bible tells us that there's no condemnation, but we are to run back to him. That's the mark. Our eternal destiny hinges on fighting sin. You need to recognize that. It's not just saying, hey, I accepted Christ, a prayer, and I got baptized, and then I can live my life any way I want. To fight sin is an indicator of repentance. Once again, let me bring your attention to to the monitor. Blogger Tim Chalice writes this. He says, the fact is, is that sin is awful, unbearably awful. Sin is evil, horrifying evil. And sin begets sin. There are endless ways that sin invites sin, that sin promotes further sin. In other words, little compromises lead to big compromises. He goes on to write that sin invites the opportunity to sin more, to sin deeper, to spawn off into the uh, massive, all-consuming storm. How many people's lives have been swept away by just taking one foot into, into the watery sand, not realizing a riptide is just moments away? Let this be just one more reason, he writes, to put sin to death. To search it out, pray it out, and through the power of the Holy Spirit to root it out. We are to go at it with all endeavor, with all energy that we have. Pulling and rooting sin out of our lives. You have heard it said before, this anonymous quote, many have said it. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. And again, many of you can give testimony to that today. The pain, the suffering, the scars that you're wearing because of sin. John Owen warns, I love this this little picture here. Killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Now, instead of making friends of our sin or surrendering to its power, Instead, you and I are to pursue holiness. One pastor tweeted out this week that you cannot really break a bad habit. Instead, you must replace it with something or someone greater. And that's very, very true. John Newton, the famous preacher who went from being the captain of a slave ship to writing the great hymn, Amazing Grace, wrote, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not even what I hope to be, but by the cross of Christ, I am not what I once was. Amen? May that be true of everyone here that's here this morning or listening to me or watching me later. Another Puritan preacher, Samuel Rutherford, says, I recommend to you holiness and sanctification and that you keep yourself clean from this present evil world. Some of you have not got the fact that the world is not your friend. The media of the world is not your friend. Let me tell you this, parents, we've spoken many of this, the school system is not your friend. They want to agendize your children into the worst types of sin that our deprived mind or depraved minds can conjure. Some of the things that are just going on is just awful. Let me tell you, Snapchat, 
um, TikTok, those things are not your friend. Uh, evidence has shown, Facebook has shown by their own written communication that they know that Instagram causes depression in young girls. They know this. Their studies have shown this, but they are now coming up with an Instagram that's geared more for to the young ladies. Why? Because it shows you a life and a world that is hardly unattainable. And it creates in you desires that you cannot obtain through the promises of Scripture. That was an editorial note. You can take that one for free. The way that you and I fight sin is to replace our thoughts and affections from the false promises of the world to the wonderful promises of the Father. Let me say that again. I I went through that too quickly. You You need to get this. The way that you and I fight these sins that that entangle us is that we need to replace our thoughts and our affections from the false promises of this world of Satan who, who offers you a shortcut to happiness to the wonderful promises of the Father who is faithful to reward his children for their obedience. So you and I need to start begin replacing. Hence, why I say, you know, why I'm saying, grab this this Bible study, you know, or this Bible. Read, you know, read a chapter of the Bible today. If you can't spare five minutes to read one chapter of the Bible, then I, I don't know what hope there is for you. You just ought to pray that the Lord comes now, you know, before the next commercial break, maybe. We need to take that time. We need to replace it. Because the world is after your thoughts. It's after your affections. And it wants you to choose them. We're in the same way. God says, no, you are my adopted children. I've given you a new heart so that you may think differently. So that you may have different desires. So that you may choose wisely. If you're making any resolutions this year, we need to resolve to grow in holiness and godliness. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Practice of Godliness, writes that there is a sense in which we are growing in our character every day, and that's true. We are are always growing in our character. The question is, in which direction are you growing? Are you growing towards godly character or ungodly character? That's why the Bible tells us as parents, train up our children in the way of the Lord. It's we want to teach them to choose God. Because let me tell you, there's other people that are wanting them to choose them. And it leads to destruction. Growing in spiritual maturity does not happen by osmosis. Meaning it's not just let go and let God. What, a, what an awful phrase that came up years ago. Or in the words of Carrie Underwood, you know, Jesus take the wheel. That kind of thought is, well, I'm just, I, I just accepted Christ and I'm going to let go of everything and let God do it. And all of a sudden, you know, where we're just basking in God's glory and my life is changing, my heart, my emotions, and all that is changing while we're just garbage in, garbage out, everything else. Now, sanctification, becoming more like Christ and freer from sin, is a progressive, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit and with our cooperation. It's difficult, and it demands our willing cooperation. Look to the monitor. 1 Timothy 4, 7, 9 says this. Train yourself for godliness. Uh, Just memorize that phrase right there for the year. That's a good New Year's resolution. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, we should. 
Godliness is of value in every way as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Church, would you, would you accept this? Would you trust? Train yourself for godliness? You need to get out and do the work. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. There are going to be days that you want to do it. You'll just want to let your mind wander. You'll just want to just enjoy the sin. And sin is good for a season. But we've got to train ourselves to say no, to fight it. Pastor John MacArthur notes that sin has great power and is so close to us and it mingles in all of our motives and actions. The Holy Spirit calls us to yield to his work. And so there is the work of the Spirit as he changes us, but it also calls us, and I'll give you various scriptures there. It says, cleanse yourself from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion, to put off the old self, do not let sins therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its, push, obey its passions. To put away all malice and deceit and to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war, wage war. These are action verbs. You remember your English class, right? Freshman, sophomore year, whenever they, action verbs, maybe elementary. Is we need to learn that we need to be active in doing these things. Take a picture of that so you can put that on your wall, your phone. Let me give you a last warning before we go into just some positive stuff here. We're almost done. You can tell I'm feeling better. I'm not coughing so much. So I want to give you a warning. And I want you to hear me on this one. Because this one is the battle that's going on right now in the culture. Ready? Ready? Do not let your sin, that sin that you've made a friend, that sin that, that, that closely entangles you, do not let your sin or fleshly desire become your identity. You are not your sin. And I say this because now there's this big battle to be a gay Christian, right? Or, or a gay pedophile, or a gay adulterer. We, we hear this all the time. This comes from Alcohol Anonymous, right? Always an alcoholic, right? Once an alcoholic, I'm always an alcoholic. I remember a, a Christian brother telling me that. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. When was the last time you drank? Oh, about 30 years ago. Oh, but I could go back any day. Really? Is there no freedom in Christ? Now, not to say that that's not a sin someone may struggle with. But now we have people who want to take their sin and make it their identity. Why? Because if I can make it my identity, then I don't have to fight it. God gave it to me. So same-sex attraction is one of those identities now. It says, well, this must be from God. It is good. And when I get to heaven, God will not purge that out of me. It will actually glorify God. And I will have that identity in heaven. Let me tell you, our identity is not found in our sin. It's in Christ. We are a new creature. Behold, all things have become new. We already read the scripture where Paul says, but such were some of you, but now you've been washed, you've been sanctified. Yes, you may fight with this issue your whole life. And there are men and women that's, that will face and struggle with same-sex attraction their whole life. There will be men and women who will struggle with lust their whole life. But we do not make it our identity. 
What would you say if I stood up here and say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm an adultering Christian. I'm a lustful Christian. I'm a gossipy Christian. There's no such thing. We're new creatures. So I've said much there, just an editorial note. Do not let your sin become your identity. Because that's a step in accepting and affirming that sin. Again, going back to God's questions, they say besetting sins do not have to control us. In Christ, we've been set free from our sins and we're no longer slaves. We are dead to sin. I've been crucified with Christ, Paul writes. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The knife I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As we lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us, we should avoid tempting, tempting situations and relationships, making no provision for the flesh. We should pray for wisdom and strength to change our habits. We should saturate ourselves in Scripture. And when sin, when we do sin, and we will, we should immediately seek God's help, His wonderful mercy and grace, having this promise that if we confess our sin, what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us. In summary, we need to renew our mind, your thought processes. This is what you need to do. Number two, you need to reorder your affections. You need to look and see what is it that you desire? What is it that you love? And number three, reprioritize your will. When it comes to the choices, you need to reprioritize to the things of God. Hopefully you get these. These are three important things you need to do, okay? I'll say it again. Renew your mind. They're all ours. Reorder your affections and reprioritize the will. This happens as we read and study scripture, memorize scripture. As we pray, 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 Lord, lead me not in temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. That ought to be a prayer that you have every morning. <clears throat> Kill sin. And then lastly, I want to just say gather in a group. That's where Galatians 6 says, if anyone is caught up in sin, you who are spiritual, restore him. You are not to walk this road alone. If you have a sin, a besetting sin, most likely it's a hidden sin, one that no one else knows about. It's a secret. What does the Bible say to do with those? Expose it. Let others know. And some of you have done that. And hopefully you've seen victory as we encourage and, 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 and help and lift each other up. We're not to walk this road alone. I'd like to go back and end with Greg Gilbert, the pastor at Third Avenue Baptist Church. And he wrote in a sermon that struck this to me to thinking about this message was three questions for Christians who are struggling in their besetting sin. The first question that someone asked is, to what degree should we expect victory in life, in this life, over besetting sin? That's what I want to know. How long do I have to struggle with this? He writes biblically that this is actually up to God. Some of us will fight a wide variety of besetting sins over our lifetime, and others will fight one particular besetting sin their whole life. Nonetheless, we can and should expect a growing degrees and seasons of temporary victory. And if you're a Christian who's fought sin, you probably understand this. There'll be times when the temptation is not so strong, when the pressure is not so overwhelming. When you become a Christian, you sign up for a lifetime fight. And that's the problem with stuff from Bill Johnson, Bethel, from Elevation Church, Hillsong. You know, life is all good. You won't have a problem in the world. But life, Christian life, is a lifetime of war. 
Number two, the question is, when should, uh, when should besetting sins cause us to fear for our salvation? And I think that's a great question. And this is something we ask when we do for communion. So these questions are good as we prepare for communion. The answer is, when the reality is, you are no longer struggling, but you have submitted, and the dominance of this is in our life. In other words, you have identified this sin as something that is your friend. This is something that, that you use to cope with. Something that you use to satisfy yourself. If you are at that point, then, I, then you need to confess that and repent. Because <coughs> for your eternal destiny may be in jeopardy. You may not be a true Christian. We give that warning in communion as well. So in your sin, are you fighting it or are you making friends with it? And then the last question is, what should I do with my besetting sin? He says, if you're fighting it, grieving it, repenting over it, and trying everything you can to subdue it, then the answer is to keep doing that. Fight, grieve, report, or repent, and everything you can to do to subdue it. If you've stopped fighting, if you've stopped grieving over it, if you've stopped repenting of it, if you stop trying to subdue it, then you need to repent, confess, and come to Christ. We will fight sin our whole life. But let us be in the fighting sin business, for that's what God has called us to. So that's why he tells us in Ephesians 6 that he's given us the, the whole armor of God. I'd like to close with this passage. It's in Romans 6, where Paul says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have bought, been bought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. That's a New Year's resolution that you should bank on, that you should hold dear. You should begin your whole day. Father, let me be an instrument of righteousness today. Help me fight sin. One last little picture just to give you a smile is the cave of indwelling sin. I don't know if you could read that. It's from where you're at. It's by John Owen. The man says, Mr. Owen, there are too many. And those are sins, fighting, dwelling sins that are fighting him. We must retreat. John Owen replies, never. If we leave before the enemy stops breathing, we have only done half our work. Let us be in the business of killing sin. For sin will kill you. Let us not have dominion over us, but dominion over them. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask Landon, please come on up. We're going to take communion in a moment, but I want you to take a moment. I went a little bit longer than normal. <coughs> Just to pause and consider the words of Hebrews. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us run with endurance. Let us look to Christ. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's pray. Father, make us sufficient for this battle. Let us be instruments of righteousness. Have the Holy Spirit do the work to pray, to train yourself in godliness and that God will make you sufficient. Then realize that when we do fail and we will fail, that we have a Savior, a Father, who has redeemed us and is waiting for us to come to Him. And He embraces us as we confess that sin and repent of it. Lady, would you come and close us? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. 
Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.